Welcome to Season 2 of the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. Everybody. He's Brandon Pitzer. And he's Dan Norton. <laughs> oh, that went really well. That's as far as I had for that. A little improv uh, razzle yeah. dazzle. Yeah. I was I actually just kind of zoned out. I forgot we were recording at all. I was like, <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's an interesting article. I should read that. Um, <clears throat> hello everybody. I'm Brandon Pitzer. He is. And that's Dan Norton over there. He, he is. <laughs> we have a third guest in the studio today. It's Miranda. Hi, everyone. Miranda is a friend of ours, a teacher friend who works with us um, on stuff, learning game <laughs> stuff, as, as most people who work with us do. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we brought her into the studio today. Um, and uh, basically, just to talk to her a little bit about her experience being a game-based learning-related teacher, um, her experience of being a teacher, and uh, yeah, just kind of dig into that, um, and a little bit of guidance for other teachers out there who might want to teach with games. Um, but before we get to that, I have a burning question in my mind. Oh my goodness. Are you guys playing any video games lately? Yes. What are you playing? Um, well, actually, Miranda, do you have anything... Um, you want to go first? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm currently not playing any video games. I'm mm. not. It's the the end of the school year, mm. and and that's not something I have time for. Um, and I'm I primarily play with the games that I don't think gamers would really acknowledge as games. Like oh, I, that's fine. That's, I do a lot yeah. of like Clash of Clans, that kind of thing. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. That's legit. Not, no, yeah, not that... particularly gamery. Clash I, of Clans had a deep burning grip on at least a couple of staff members here. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's addictive, yeah. yeah. Well, and they just put out that MOBA now, right? That's like a half card game, half MOBA, oh, yeah. Clash Royale or I did something. hear about that, yes. Yeah. 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 They're out there. They're innovating. Yeah, but there's this, like, cool aura to gamers that mm-hmm. I don't think I can quite pull off, so, yeah. I, I stick to the little things. Wow. I've never, <laughs> I've never heard of that aura yeah. before. Yeah, I've heard of it as, like, uh, an odor problem. Yeah, a st- a stench, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. I've never heard it as the cool aura. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Norton, Norton, what are you playing? I, uh, so uh, I'm playing the Overwatch. Nice. Yeah. How is it? It's great. I'm, I've, uh, I'm a mini, I own many, many hats in Team Fortress 2. I played that game for a very long time, so I I feel like it's been a natural migration to Overwatch and, uh, I have actually been out of the country when it was launched, so I'm trying to catch up to the current level where people are and so it's already getting clobbered like two weeks in oh yeah well i think um yeah i think there's actually levels for for how long you've played and i'm i think i'm level 10 or something and most people seem to be in their 20s or 30s so most people have got like two or three times more play time log than i do Jeez. uh and that's uh, at, the, at these low level of hours, that's a meaningful amount of time. There's still a lot of things I don't know. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's fun and pleasurable. All right. I, I looked into it. I saw some gameplay videos, and I became very intimidated, and I and I ran away. Yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm not very good at first person shooters for one thing. Well, one of the nice things about Overwatch and other sort of class focused team shooters is that 
there are many roles where shooting is less relevant. Mm. Like there's ways to provide other types of support, like setting up teleporters or healing people. I liked the engineer in Team Fortress. Yes, right? Does I liked making for you. Just like made turrets and hiding in a corner. <laughs> there is a character that, in fact, makes turrets uh, uh, and hides in a corner. <sighs> so at the end of every round, they show a thing called the play of the game, okay. which is the game mathematically figures out what is the most impressive moment, which sometimes it doesn't do a good job of. Um, <laughs> but I definitely had a play of the game as Born, I think his name is, the dwarf who mm-hmm. makes the entries where the entire play of the game was just focused on my corpse because I was dead. But my, my sentry was <laughs> killing people far away. And uh, so it was just sort of like... So the old... camera was just resting on this dead dwarf. Yeah, all yeah. Right. while a little tally was loading up and we all, all of us had a good laugh at I'm that. I'm sure. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. Um, well, I'm playing War Tortoise. Nice. Which is awesome. Nice. And there's like, it's just so... So easy to play. Yeah. It's Are you bar- playing right now? Barely playing at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could, in fact, be firing it up right now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We, and I want to talk about idle games at some point. Not this episode, but okay. I, to me, it's such a fascinating idea. Yeah. A game that plays itself. Yeah. Is there a point to that? What does that mean about games? Yeah. What does that mean about me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, it, yeah. It's a genre that started as a parody and then... Now uh, it's just an actual genre. Now it's just a thing. Yeah. 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 So, a, ga- a game to play if the main game you're playing is too boring. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's uh, let's get into the uh, the show proper here. The, um, the Miranda relevant topics. The, the Miranda relevant section yeah. of the show. Yes. so left out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to War Tortoise okay. later, I yeah. assure you. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I've been a teacher for about six years. I'm finishing out my sixth year. Um, I am originally from central Mexico, moved here um, to to the States when I was about 18, and sort of poked around with different things that I wanted to do, did some uh, graphic design, things like that, and then realized that I was sort of trying to escape the fact that I knew my mom was a teacher, and I really loved teaching with her when I was back home. Sure. and eventually just caved in to the fact that that was something I enjoyed doing. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I teach elementary. I've taught K through fourth grade. Okay. And, um, yeah, just that's that's me. All right. <laughs> awesome. So, um, you know, talking about uh, kind of your focus in school, is there like a subject area that you focus on in particular? Um, I know you, you do some dual language immersion stuff. Yes, I am. Um, I've been teaching in a dual language immersion setting ever since I started. I was actually one of the first, uh, one of two kindergarten teachers who started the, the program at our school, along with most of the district. So my first class is now graduating uh, fifth grade, which is Impressive. kind of exciting. Wow. Makes wow. you feel really old, too. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, so dual language has been definitely a pull. And I think being in a program like that sort of has its advantages in terms of parents have already signed up their kids for something kind of innovative. And, yeah, sure. And they're taking a chance with a new program. So mm-hmm. it's they're sort of open to ideas in terms of... Um, new and exciting things that you can do in the classroom. So that's been really nice. Cool. So tell me a little bit, I, I, just for my own personal curiosity, what does a dual language uh, immersion program look like for kindergartners? How does that work? Um, currently, the program, and it's about to change, um, it's 90% of the time is taught in Spanish mm. and 10% of the, sp- the time is taught in English. Um, and your population is about 50-50 split. So some half of them speak English at home and half um, speak something other than English. It could be any language. Okay. So, mm. Yeah. 
So that's that's what it looks like. So for the first about two months of school, half the kids have no idea what you're saying, which is really exciting. Okay. So, but they pick it up so quickly that it's exciting. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. Man, yeah. I wish I was bilingual in, in any way. Yeah. But I'm not. Yep. It's one of my greatest ignorances. Just right. saying that now for public record. <laughs> it's yep. recorded. Not I'm barely knows. monolingual, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm me struggling now. Um, <laughs> Word make hard. <laughs> um, so, um, so thinking about um, the you know the the population of of parents being more receptive to kind of innovative stuff, I think I think games could arguably fall into that category. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so how do you how do you use games um, either either at that level or all the way up to the the fourth or fifth grade level? So I've used um, when the last few years I've sort of jumped between kindergarten, then third, then fourth, and now I'm back in kindergarten, um, and I had some of the same students for that chunk of time. And so it was a really neat opportunity because I knew them well, the families knew me well, to try out some things. And also I wanted to do things a little bit differently so the kids wouldn't be like, oh, great, it's Miss Salguero again. Um, <laughs> doing, I mean, doing her old song and dance. It's, you know, I get so many people that are like, oh, great, they got you for three years. I'm like, yeah, unless you're the kid that hates me and oh, you're yeah. stuck with me for three years. Oh, can so, we hear more about that kid? Yeah. Why well, does that kid hate you? I, I'm sure some of them do. Like, nobody... You'd never have a class that everybody gets along and like loves their teacher, you know. Fair enough. So, I'm hopefully a, that kid. I'm the slightly game. skeptical. <laughs> I thought you had tangible evidence of a kid hating you. Oh I, no, I, no, I haven't gotten any death threats or anything. No, he's very, Maybe those he's will come subtle. once they get like yeah. to middle school. Yeah. <laughs> Passive aggressive child. Yeah, yeah slightly a, smaller <laughs> apple on the desk than the other apples. There's just exactly. a lot of squinting from afar. Yeah. Um, yeah, that So you might be squinting at the board, but maybe not. But yeah. maybe it's me. Um, yeah, so there's there were some neat opportunities. Um, and I, I work in this very sort of unique context. My um, principal has, he's kind of an innovator, and it's really neat to work for someone that fully trusts his staff and encourages that kind of vibe. Mm. Um, so... Um, the last few years, our challenge through some grants that our school received and things like that was to create thematic units to follow the next generation science standards. Oh, yeah. Which the district is not currently moved up to because of many, many reasons. Mm -hmm. um, they're too cool. <laughs> well, there's par that's part of it, the I'm pretty standards sure. standards are too cool. They are really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, no, but there's just so much, you know, with the Common Core coming out and everything, this, mm -hmm. it's hard to change everything all at once. Totally. Um, but we created some units and games, and particularly some of the games that um, the Games and Learning Society have created were a really nice fit for some of the units that we were creating. And mm -hmm. so that seemed like a, a neat opportunity to to incorporate that, particularly at fourth grade. Um, and I mean, the results I got were pretty spectacular. Like some of those games are not really intended for fourth graders, mm -hmm. but the way that we moved into the units and the way that we approached the game made it so that these kids were like really motivated to work on text that was challenging for them and that they knew, you know, I was very upfront about the fact that these games are kind of intended for kids that are older than you, but you have learned so much thus far that I think you can handle it. And then yeah, like the engagement that I saw from them and the amount that they knew and the amount that they went on to do on their own afterwards because, you know, you can't devote days and days and days to, right. to, to go through the game. But right. 
kids would go home or like they would come in early in the morning before the bell so that they could play in for some more. Um, so that was that that's been really powerful. So, you know, thinking about the ways that they kind of like extrapolate on that that learning experience through games. So, like what are kind of some of the specific things that you saw them doing? Um, some of the kids went on to they wanted to find out more. Uh, we played citizen science mm-hmm. because we were learning about one of the, the standards is learning about systems and how systems um, that's like the core concept. And then it's plants. But we are big unit was analyzing systems and how the pieces of a system work together. Mm. Um, So a lot of the kids went on to, well, for one, um, be very aggressive with their parents about the fact that there were certain things that were not worth making their grass look nicer. Oh. <laughs> so that was that was that was some feedback I got from from parents. And like <laughs> we were at Home Depot the other day, and you would not believe. <laughs> um, so that was going off about fertilizer. There was some advocacy, and yeah. Right. And then um, I happen to have some friends who are involved in the limnology department, mm-hmm. and so the kids started emailing back and forth with some of them, and like wanting to find out more. Um, yeah, so that, you know, kids learning a little bit and then wanting to know more was is really sort of what's drawn me towards games. And now at kindergarten, it's there's not as much available, so I'm sort of trying to figure out new yeah. ways to, to incorporate. So if you want to make anything for kindergarten... I do, I do. <laughs> let me know. All right. It's, it's a fun age, right? They there's, are, yeah. yeah. What do you think about the difference between like um, the traditional instruction, where it's just telling kids like what to learn um, and just delivering them co- the content straightforwardly, um, whereas your approach seems to touch more on how kids learn mm-hmm. and like how how we investigate information for ourselves? Right. Is that something you put a strong emphasis on through these programs? Yes, that's that's my goal. I mean, if if I would like them to know anything by the time they're done with me and like they don't have to deal with me anymore or, or bring smaller apples. Which, yeah, which sometimes can take years. <laughs> right. And finding you. a smaller apple is hard. That's right. So yeah, that's a lot that's of true. effort right there. Maybe go to the orchard um, for that. No, but I think one of the things that, that I could articulate as my, my goal is that kids figure out that when they learn or whatever they want to learn, like my goal is not to teach them like facts or memorize things, but rather to figure out how to find information about something they care about. Because if they can figure that out, then they're they should be pretty set, right? Like yeah. they don't they don't need me anymore. <laughs> so that's that's sort of the goal. Right. That's the hope after school wraps up. Right. right? Is that they don't need me anymore. <laughs> um, you know, when you went when you first kind of went to roll that kind of program out, did you encounter any kind of unexpected challenges, any surprises um, in the way that it was received, either by the students or by the parents, um, the communities, other fellow teachers, even? Um, I think one of the biggest. So I learned about the Games and Learning Society a few years ago, and then. Um, lucky enough to live in Madison, so I went to the conference over the summer, and I was like, okay, yes, I'm really going to do this. And then looking for games to teach with, there's there's a lot of junk out there. Like, yeah. there's a lot of things that are just really fancy, fancy flashcards, or mm-hmm. they're a replacement to a worksheet, mm-hmm. or they're the kinds of games where a kid can easily just swipe yep. to death, and they're not really getting anything out of it. Right. Um, so I think that search for games is hard as a teacher. Um, 
particularly at the elementary level. I think it might be, I mean, I haven't done a lot of digging into middle and high school, but I think Mm -hmm. as the kids get older, the games that are developed for them have more substance to them, where, Mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a million games for math facts for elementary. Sure. And most of them are just a flashcard and like the dynamics of a change, but really it's just, they could just as easily be doing flashcards. so that was a challenge. And then, honestly, from family, because I think this is really a result of the environment I teach in, because my administrator is a certain way, and our school sort of works in a certain way, and we're very open. We have, like, a showcase every quarter where parents come in and their kids teach them what they've been learning. Wow. Um, That's super cool. So there wasn't, I think parents felt like they were informed, and their kids could articulate what we were doing and why, mm. and so that was that was not as challenging as I as I know it would be in other districts or in other settings. Sure, so I, where there isn't that like established channel for that right. information sharing. So I guess I, I, one thing I want to pick at is like for those games that you do find for a younger audience, do you think it's that they're being designed where like the learning is just not authentically tied to the gameplay mechanic, where it's it is just simply a flashcard, or or are you finding games as well where there's more than just flashcards, but the the developer is perhaps underestimating the the user? Mm. I think that's a big part of it. I think there's definitely some games where they're trying to <laughs> They're trying to like trick kids into learning. Sure. Like, oh, look! While you were weren't looking, I taught you about this. You yeah. know, and and I think that's sort of, I mean, in some ways, disrespectful to kids, mm-hmm. right? Because if, like, it's, it assumes that kids don't like to learn, and right. kids love to learn. Like, yeah. Just ask any kid to memorize to tell you all the things they know about Pokemon, and like, you're gonna have a few <laughs> hours, or you know, to tell you the latest thing they've done in Minecraft, and then they'll explain to you. Like every single thing about my <laughs> and they'll look at you like, how do you not already know this? <laughs> right. um, so I think, yeah, I think that the expectations for my age level, at least, tend to be really low, mm-hmm. and then it tends to be uh, like bells and whistles, so that you're looking over here while I'm teaching you how to add, right. you know, so, distracting you from yeah. this equation that you're filling out yeah. with some animations or whatever. And I think kids don't appreciate that either, especially if they, as they get into that third, fourth, fifth grade level. Like, no one likes to have someone be like, ha-ha, I taught, you know, right. well, you weren't looking, mm-hmm. I did this, you know, so. Yeah, and that's, you know, I, as I speak with more and more teachers about this topic, um, something that's emerging as a pattern, which is really interesting to me, is the idea that the student is someone, something of a collaborator in the classroom, and that um, there's this kind of new movement towards, like, real transparency towards the student and being like super open and honest about what's going on in the classroom and respecting their intelligence about about the process Mm -hmm. as well of learning not just the content um so that's really exciting to me um along those same lines uh what kind what piece of advice um if you had to just pick one would you give to teachers who are uh trying to use their own use games in their own classrooms i think one of the things I've heard from from colleagues has been, you know, but if I if I teach with games, sometimes they'll like hate everything else I do, oh. <laughs> right? Like they're not going to want to learn any other way. And I think, for, at least for me, what worked was be really transparent about the fact that if you're going to look at a game that's just a distraction or that you can just sort of tune out and 
go through the motions, then I'd rather you talk to someone mm. and like do something together. Right. But if it's a game that's going to show you how something works in a way that reading about it wouldn't, or if it's a game that gives you like a visual, um, a, like an image of something that will help your understanding mm-hmm. um, that you couldn't get from traditional instruction, then I'm all on board. So mm, sure. being really transparent with kids about why we're doing it, mm-hmm. what the goal is, and also what it's going to take from them. So if I see you just clicking through, like that's showing me that you're you're not getting the best out of this, and so let's right. find a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, that for me was really successful. So just being really transparent about this is this is why I'm choosing to use this instructional strategy. And if it doesn't work, then we'll do something else. And also having kids be really honest about, you know, and, and tell me this is boring and we don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's come up with something else. Right. And I think that's, like, tricky and it can feel uncomfortable as a teacher. Sure. But they're also stuck with us, you know, for right. so much of their lives <laughs> right. that it's not really fair for us to just arbitrarily make decisions without having them yeah. have right. input. Well, I think it's reflective of, of just the working world, too. And I think that's something that is increasingly a focus, at, especially at the level of K-12. It's like, how do we how do we have the dynamics of the classroom r- reflect the dynamics of the office? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's not one right way to do things. I mean, right. unless you're like an engineer and you're building a bridge, then there's probably like there's a, probably, a few select right ways to do things yeah. but um, but you know even then you can investigate those right ways right you know and that's the thing is it's like there's there's many right ways um, well and not only that but there's some structural limitations but it can look however you want it to look mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah. there's the there's the the pieces that we're tight with and that's something that we talked about as a class like this is what is going to be tight like this these are the expectations this is what is what's our goal and so this is what I need from you but how it looks is really up to you. Right. So, like, I need you to show me that you can write persuasively. Mm-hmm. But how you do it is up to you. Like, you could make a commercial. You could write a paper. You mm-hmm. could make a brochure for something. Sure. You know, th- so those got, kinds of things can look di- different ways. You've got these non-negotiable goals. Right. But the path to those goals is it's fully negotiable. You. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And if you need support along that path, or if you're like, uh, too many options, don't know what to do, mm-hmm. then I'll be happy to help. But there's some back and forth. Yeah. That's very cool. Right. Um, those are all... Those are all principles of good game design <laughs> just, just, just yeah, yeah right you know uh you know tangible obvious goals but mm-hmm. flexibility and creativity on how to reach them right mm-hmm. strong feedback mechanisms that's like that's how you make a thing worth experiencing right totally so that's cool yeah that's the, that's the structure that the human mind can glom onto basically yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, speaking of the advice that you would give to teachers um, who are interested in using the games uh, in the classroom, I also want to take the opportunity to plug uh, the ebook that we released um, on June 23rd um, called the How to Teach with Games ebook. Wow. Featuring an article. Cool. That's great. Can we, can we keep that wow, wow. Like, as a soundbite? <laughs> I want that to wow. come back. <laughs> can it echo throughout the rest of the conversation, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How much does this ebook cost, Brandon? It costs nothing. What? Absolutely nothing. 
So uh, it features stories from educators about how they teach with games. Um, again, one of those stories is from Miranda. It's a lovely piece. I read it just yesterday. Um, it's filled with downloadable worksheets, pre and post tests, game-based learning ideas for your classroom, um, lots of cool tools uh, if you're an educator looking to just kind of see how other educators are going about this whole game-based learning thing. Um, it's uh, it's it's nice and nice and lengthy too. It's about thirty-seven pages. Of it just it sounds great, Brandon, but I have no idea where to get it. Well, see, I'm glad you asked, Dan. Yeah. Because if you go to www. Oh wait, I didn't ask. I just was stating that I didn't know where to get it. It's a good point. Yep. Anyway, I'm just going to proceed with this URL. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't ask, because yeah. I'm just going to show I'm this information. You I'm glad you stated. Um, it's www.filamentgames.com slash blog. I'm looking forward to looking at that link. <laughs> well, actually, I have a question for oh, you. Oh, wait a minute. All right. Um, what you got? So, there's obviously, it sounds like there a lot of the kids are see the game-based learning as a great opportunity. They get to try things in a new way. Are there any kids that struggle that are like, I really would prefer a regular lesson, I, I'm, you know, that are comfortable in a traditional academic setup? There are. And I think, I mean, whenever a kid is not hooked in by the game, it could be a number of things. And some of them might be like flaws in how I set it up as well. That would um, be my default assumption. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what happened. They probably blew it. <laughs> hence the, hen the hate and squinting. That's right. Hence the small apples. So. <laughs> small apples come rolling out. Um, no, but I think, you know, even within a classroom at a fourth grade level, you're going to have a range of kids' uh, reading competency and things like that. And so there's, I think, whenever there have been kids that were not particularly engaged with the game, it's been an issue of access. Mm. Um, and the way I chose to set it up was to have pairings of kids do it together, that mm. particular game, because for one, if you just try to click through, your partner's not going to be happy. Mm -hmm. um, but also because there could be some collaboration in terms of figuring out what the text meant and things like that. Um, but even then, if you feel like your reading level is lower or the text is not quite accessible, then that can be disengaging. Mm -hmm. um, I've also had some kids who would rather like touch and play with things than do a game. Sure. Which is also mm -hmm. um, an acceptable, you know, response to that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but I think the the large majority of them I've found to be very engaged with games. Yeah, so. that's interesting. You're always going to have those outliers, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I think it's, you know, there's lots of ways to get connected and engaged with material. And, right. you know, we, we obviously believe that games are a great new opportunity, but mm -hmm. it's nice to, it's nice, nice to hear about what are some of the barriers? Right. I think your I think your paired play is a wonderful a wonderful way it to help for with kids, that. Uh, yeah. For most of them, and like controlling the pacing with that is really smart right. too. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's I mean it's really it's not like the the ultimate goal is to not get kids in front of games. It's to give kids agency in their learning. Yes, right. so exactly. <laughs> yeah, whatever the alternative have, they need is good. You have some variation too in terms of how long kids want to engage with the game. Mm. There were some kids who went home then and played it and then came back the next morning and played it. And there were some kids who were like, that was interesting. I played it once and now I'm going to like email this limnologist person, right? Because yeah. that's like, I'm ready for that next step. So there's, totally. there's some variation there too. Very cool. That's awesome. I 
got a final thing okay. to round off with. So so I talked to my brother about this. Yeah. His name is Shane. Uh-huh. And he listens to this podcast while he lifts weights. Oh, yeah. Which I can't imagine a better thing to be doing while We listening. lift weights while producing this exactly. podcast. So yeah. We have, yeah, that's in common. I'm doing a double drop curl right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Sorry, Miranda. Um, so, um, he, but he offered me a name that I think I'm going to keep. Um, fact or fabrication. Fact or fabrication. Yeah, credit goes to Shane on that one. It's good. Yeah, it's good. He's pretty good at stuff. So, in this segment, I will provide you with two facts. One of them is a fact, and one of them is a fabrication. Okay. Kat was suggesting that I do three, but I don't know if that actually happened because she would have had to use words to tell me to do that. <laughs> mm. I, I actually got an arched eyebrow of acknowledgement, so sorry. Y- yes, that three did happen. Confirmed. Yes. Okay. Yep. It didn't happen today. <laughs> You're yep. only getting two, but next, <laughs> perhaps next time. Okay. Um, so, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Statement one. Actually, I should frame this. So the theme. Yes. Is is based on our mutual admiration for War Tortoise. Oh, good. We're doing military animals today. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Um, so, um, so you're right. Sorry. Sorry. Wow. Right. <laughs> so, statement one. During the Second World War, the U.S. planned to drop incendiary bombs full of flying squirrels in the Eastern Theater, but abandoned that plan when it was overtaken by Project Manhattan. Okay, that's statement one. That's statement one. Statement two. During the Cold War, the U.S. tried to use surgically altered cats to spy on the Soviets, but abandoned those plans when the cats proved untrainable. Man, so... I'm in the dilemma where the second one seems so much more plausible. Because, like, why set squirrels on fire? Although, I guess they would fly around frantically, possibly dispersing the flames. So, I mean, so it's obviously a bad idea. <laughs> but the question is, how far do they take a bad idea before they abandon it? Um, and last time, I went with my gut, mm-hmm. and my gut was a liar. Yeah, so this time, you. I'm going to betray my gut instead. <laughs> okay, and so which, which is I the fact? I believe that the squirrel thing happened. Your gut has betrayed you in a double-cross sort of sense, because you're wrong again, yeah. Dan Norton. <laughs> you should have gone for the cats. I should have gone cats for the cats. Cats are the worst. That, it sounded reasonable. <laughs> both, both the idea to try it and that they were untrainable all right. made sense, yep. which is why I discarded it. So that was Operation Acoustic Kitty. Oh, man. Yep. The CIA tried it, and they just couldn't get the cats to go into the Russian embassy as required. They go where they want. Exactly. I could have yep. told them that. Yep, they put little uh, receivers in their ears, and then it didn't work, so they just took the receivers out and sent them Maybe on their way. Maybe they would have used tuna or something. Maybe yeah. so. Um, here's the thing about the first fact. The only thing that was false about it was that it was flying squirrels. They actually used bats, but that was real. <sighs> they really did that. They just used bats. I'm not going to ask for partial credit because I have some dignity. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's your fact and fabrication for today. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what goes on inside our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher. 